1: Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on arsblog.com. This is episode number 379. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Welcome to a brand new Friday, or whatever day it happens to be when you're listening to this, if you even know what day of the week it is. Maybe it's not the day that you think. What are you talking about? I hear you say. Well, Let me explain. And before I do, just let me say I know that we have got very, uh, very important football stuff to discuss on this podcast as the pressing issue of Arsenal facing league leaders Leicester. I know, get that inside your head. Maybe this all ties in when you hear what I'm going to say now in a, in a few moments' time. It might all start to make some kind of weird cosmic sense. But anyway, we are playing Leicester on Sunday. They're five points ahead of us. We can cut the gap to two points. We know all this. So uh, just bide your time, and we will have lots of Arsenal and Leicester talk, and we'll be talking about Arsenal, and we'll be talking about Leicester, and we'll be talking about, we'll be talking about the game and the choices and all that. That's still to come. That's, you know, just don't hurry. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But what I was talking about when uh, I said we might not know what day it is, right? I don't know if you've seen the news over the last day or so, but physicists have announced that they've discovered these things called gravitational waves. Now, these were predicted by Albert Einstein, who uh, played three games at left back for the Arsenal Reserves in uh, in the late 1950s before deciding that, you know, science and shit was his thing. And I'm no astrophysicist guy, I'm no scientologist, I'm no star lord. I'm just saying that space, to me, is fascinating. I find space amazing. I've never been there. I'm not sure I ever want to go. Not unless I have an assurance of complete safety, because lots of bad shit tends to happen to people in space. Sure, you can come across a a nice cantina with a funky band and an elephant-nosed trumpet guy... But for the most part, when you go into space, you're asking for trouble by aliens or things on other planets or, you know, um, wormholes or or like in that movie with Matthew McConaughey. You could travel through space and time and end up behind your own fucking bookcase. Now, after three hours of watching that anyway, I'm 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 getting off on a sideline here. Right. So space is good. And it's interesting. And, you know, we're very small. And when you look at where we are in the universe and all that kind of stuff, you you feel quite insignificant. But they've discovered gravitational waves, which is basically when two black holes come together, they like smoosh into each other. And then the waves are ripples in space time. Now, if you can hear the word space time without also hearing the word continuum, you're a better person than I am. Because I grew up on Back to the Future. Marty McFly, he was warned, do not fuck around with the space-time continuum. Because then you might end up marrying your own mom or something. But these space-time ripples, what if they, like, wash over the Earth and fuck with the space-time continuum? And all of a sudden, we think we're in one particular universe or dimension or timeline, and we just get transported into another one. Maybe it's this that has Leicester City at the top of the the Premier League table. We don't know for sure that this isn't because of some ripples in space-time and all that. It would make much more sense than what's actually happening. And what happens when two black holes come together? Does one of them swallow the other one, and one of the black holes ceases to exist? Or do they join forces to become a super monstrous massive black hole? And then don't we all get sucked into, like, the event horizon or... Something like that? I mean, it's an amazing, amazing discovery. But what if? What if it actually fucks around with time? That we end up going backwards and forwards and, and we don't know what's happening to us. It just seems linear. But but of course it doesn't and isn't. Hello there. Welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arsecast right here on Arse blog. We could end up doing the same things over and over and not have any idea that it's happening. Doomed to repeat the same day because of... Because of issues with space ripples, are oh, we be talking about Leicester? Are oh, we be talking about the game and the choices and all that kind of stuff? That's still to come. For all we know, it could be going on around us right now. Because space is weird and majestic, and we don't really understand it. That's all I'm saying. I think it's better to you know to try and be prepared for these kinds of things. But look, you know, we can come back to space. Space is always going to be there. I don't. I don't think it's going anywhere. Hang on. Now it's still there, as far as I can see. A bit covered by clouds at the moment. Yeah, I'm. I'm assuming it's. Uh, I'm assuming it's still there. You know what would what would happen if it wasn't? There's a there's a thing to worry about. Maybe I'm just trying to distract myself from what's coming up on Sunday. It is a, a huge game, an important game, one that could define the seasons of of both sides, of both Arsenal and Leicester. From whom you might have seen that Arsenal poached a scout during the week. We talked about it on the Arsecast Extra on Monday. A guy called... Ben Rigglesworth and he's a video scout so I think what he does is he looks at videos of players and probably statistical videos and the scouts will say hey what about this guy he looks like he's quite good statistically so we're going to send someone to watch him but why don't you watch all these videos of him and, and, and figure out what it is that he does and he'll say well he makes 42% of his passes in field, and uh, 38% go forward and he makes 17% of his passes with his, with his wrong foot and when he's turned this way he's not very good, you know, so all that kind of analysis that goes into it. So it's an interesting appointment uh, and obviously a new role as scouting develops Statistics. Arsenal, as we know, bought a data company, uh, which gives them uh, lists of players which fit certain criteria when they go out to buy somebody. And uh, as James was saying on Monday, there was some suggestion that Mohamed Neni, he might have uh, been part of that uh, that type of scouting. And of course, Gabriel, there was some suggestion as well that, that his signing was reinforced by the use of statistics in that manner. So it's an interesting appointment. But did you see the story? that Gary Lineker, he made, a, he made a comment about it. He said, Arsenal, God, they got the wrong scout. Because a lot of people were saying that he was the guy who got Mares and he was the guy who got uh, Kante and he was the guy who scouted, you know, all these guys. And he wasn't. The Leicester chief scout, I think a guy called Steve Walsh was involved. And there was another scout who's actually gone to Tottenham who was involved in the Mares signing as well. But Lineker was speaking at like a, a BT thing and he made a quip I guess you would call it, in front of journalists, to quip. (laughs) Ha ha, Arsenal got the wrong scout. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Then this gets reported. Arsenal got the wrong scout, says Gary Lineker, in the first story of its kind. That emerged, I don't know where, I don't know who did it, I don't know who wrote it, uh, but it was just out there. So Arsenal got the wrong scout. And then, of course, because this is a thing, this is a piece of content that everybody has to have, Arsenal got the wrong scout. The headlines grow, and the headlines grow. Lineker slams gunners. Lineker taunts Arsenal. Lineker tells Arsenal they got the wrong scout. And I'm looking at this cropping up on all kinds of places, not just the usual bullshit sites that take every tiny bit of Arsenal content they can and and make a story out of it. And I'll uh, hold my hands up here and say that we did not do that over on ArsBlog News because, you know, who gives a fuck? It was just a little joke. And, uh, you know, it wasn't even that funny. So we didn't cover it at all. But all the sites do And it's on all the bullshit sites. And then all the broadsheets take it up. And then it was even, I saw it on the Irish Times. And you're thinking, fucking hell. They're so desperate. They really are so desperate for anything that will generate page views and clicks and hits. That there is simply no editorial control anymore. Or the editorial control is, are they doing it? Yep. Okay, well then we better do it as well. Imagine someone sitting there go, but actually this is you know, this is really shit. We shouldn't do it because it's crap, and it looks bad if we do it. Yeah, but they're doing it and they're doing it and they're doing it. So if they're do, we've got to. We don't have any choice these days. We got to do it. So do it. Make a make a story about Lineker taunting Arsenal, but he didn't taunt them. He just made a like an off the cuff remark at a press conference. Doesn't matter. Make a story, or your job here as an intern on a job bridge scheme earning £50 a week on top of your dole is over. All right, then. This is why I went to college to study journalism. Lineker taunts Arsenal. Oh, God. It's just so mind-numbing and so bad. It it just really is bad. I know I've spoken about it before, and I mentioned it on the blog this week, that we have this, this tool, this Internet that gives us everything. We can watch videos live from space. Space! (laughs) See, I even went into space there for just a moment. We can do anything. We can find out anything. We can get any piece of information that we want. We can learn whatever we want. It's free for the most part. You can learn a new language. You can learn about other cultures. You can learn about poetry and art and history. And the longer we go on, the worse we are at using it. Five things we learned from a football match. 37 times somebody did something to someone that doesn't make any fucking difference whatsoever. Do you ever watch a movie called Idiocracy by Mike Judge? And I think uh, Luke Wilson is in it. It's set in the future, like 500 years or something in the future. And basically... People are are just so stupid because this anti-intellectualism has thrived. People are just dense. That's where we're going. Do you not fear that that's where we're going with this kind of stuff all the time? That the more popular it becomes, the more likely we are to go down that road that it's no longer going to be seen as a dark, dystopian comedy, but instead a, a just an uncanny prediction of what the future is going to become. I'm quite worried about it, I have to say. Between this and the space thing, you know, we should make the most of the time that we've got. Maybe ticket prices in football will be the least of our worries in the not-too-distant future. Anyway, look, shall we get on and talk about football? I think we should. I think we should. Yes. Get away from space. And welcome back to the Arscast. I'm delighted to do so. The presenter of The Breakdown on arsal.com uh, and somebody well-placed to talk to us about this weekend's game. It's Adrian Clark. Hi, Adrian.
2: Hello, Andrew.
1: Let's start with what's going to happen this weekend. Uh, and we'll talk about it from an Arsenal point of view maybe in a few minutes' time. But I want to maybe ask you, as somebody who played the game, um, what must this... Leicester team be thinking what? What must these players be thinking, finding themselves in this position at this time of the season, completely unexpectedly? Nobody predicted this whatsoever. Are they looking at this in a in a in a different way than we might think they are? In the sense that, w- will they be feeling pressure?
2: I think they'll be feeling excited, actually, because yeah. this is something that all professional footballers dream about, really, is being involved in title races. And for the players at Leicester, they probably readied themselves for another relegation battle. So everything, to some extent, I imagine, feels like a bonus. And I I don't buy into the theory that they'll be feeling too much pressure. Not yet, anyway. Mm. We do still have... third of the season left and that is that is a pretty long time actually when all is said and done i think for the moment they're just riding this wave loving it and (laughs) that they want to to take it as far as they can you get to the last five or six games then when the prize is in sight i wonder then if the reality of the situation might hit home to them So, in a way, it's not a great time for Arsenal to be playing Leicester because (laughs) (laughs) they're full of confidence, having beaten Liverpool and City really handsomely both times, and I don't think the pressure will affect them yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking, and it was interesting to see Arsene Wenger refer to... To Leicester as favourites for the Premier League title, and this, as we know, is as is what managers do. It's part of the mind games. Um, you know, it's not up there with the the worst of what Ferguson or Mourinho might do, but no. it's just it's just that kind of a thing. But it, it's interesting as well in the sense that I think in somebody like uh, maybe if they would a younger manager, it might be a little bit different. But having somebody like Claudio Ranieri, who must as well be kind of pinching himself a little bit that th- he's got this group of players to where they are, he's not going to allow them to get too stressed about it because he's going to be telling them the whole time look you're, you're doing something amazing just keep doing it no but you, they really do have nothing to lose
2: I don't um, think so no and, and a really underestimated part of any manager's makeup I think is being a bit of a shrink bit of a psychologist to the players because it's looking after that group and getting the right message across to them on a daily basis and then in the dressing room before after during each match at the weekend what a manager says is so so important to the mood of of how everybody is feeling and that is where experience comes in I think we're seeing it in in the opposite way maybe with Gary Neville he's in a foreign country he he doesn't speak the language and, and and it's all very new to him the management game it 's going to be hard for him to to get powerful messages across and to and to steer the mood of his team, whereas for Ranieri, even though english isn 't his first language he 's seen everything he 's been in the premier League um you know in the past mm. and he 's just got so many matches to call upon i i, I think it 's um yeah, I, th- I think he's doing a brilliant job, uh, Ranieri. He is the perfect person on reflection to take over the group from Nigel Pearson. None of us thought he'd do this, of course, but but yeah, he's, he's, he's proving his worth.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, uh, he, he talked about uh, whatever he's doing. He's obviously come into that dressing room and that dynamic, and, and they finished last season amazingly well, Lester, and he sort of said, okay, well, if you're capable of doing that, to get yourselves out of that trouble, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do too much different. But you know, uh, he talks about giving them, he promised them two days off a week. Um, I like that, yeah, yeah, you good. know, and th- those kind of things are obviously those players are, are responding to.
2: Yeah, and the, and the, yeah, that that was great because look, I. I played in a different era where we would get two days off a week you'd, you'd always get Sunday off and Wednesday was pretty much set in stone as well mm. and he, he's just taken it back to that. he knows what players want and as long it's like any workplace isn't it as you have to trust your players and if you believe that they're going to live right when they're not coming into training and that when they are there they are going to give absolutely everything for the team for the session for the match, then, then there is no harm in having a couple of days off. It, you know, mm-hmm. it, it can be helpful. So, so yeah, I just think he's played it beautifully so far this season. And he also said, didn't he, that he didn't want to um, swamp them with too many Italian style tactics. <laughs> what they wanted, he sensed that they wanted a really simple philosophy, a simple approach to football. He, he when he saw them play, he realised that would work with them, and and it has. They, that it's not rocket science what they do they're just doing the basics incredibly well they're doing the basics better than anybody else and, and that's why they're at the top of the league
1: mm, I mean it was a brave team selection last weekend wasn't it to go to Manchester City with that many attacking players and obviously he looked at it going well we're on the crest of a wave we're playing pretty well we're attacking we're scoring goals and Man City if, they, if they're weak you know they're probably weak at the back, yeah. um, and it, it really, really did pay dividends. So he is, he is uh, playing to the strengths of his players and, and the strengths of the form that they're in. So based on that, how do Arsenal approach this game? Because we know that Leicester's uh, pass completion and all those kind of statistics are, are really low. They're not, a, they're not a possession side. No. They're a counter-attacking side. So uh, they want Arsenal to have the ball. They want Arsenal to come onto them, and they want to hit us. On the break, mm. um, obviously, when you're a home side, the onus is on you to take control of the game and to try and win it, and to put pressure on on the opposition. But in some ways, then that's playing directly into the hands of of, the, of what's made Leicester so effective. So, so how does Arsene Wenger find the balance this weekend?
2: I think you well, you use the right word there at the end. Balance. It is all about balance, balancing your decision making, especially. With the fullbacks, because the fullbacks are so so integral, aren't they, to the way that Arsenal play that they're gonna to have to go forward. Mm. But I would like to see a little bit more caution because if you vacate those channels too much and invite Leicester to to, to clip passes into the space, Vardy will get on the end of them and, and they'll turn defence into attack really quickly. So I like one fullback to go at a time, so I think three defenders back. The central midfield guys have got to be very, very disciplined as well. I think they've got to almost to some extent leave it to the front four to deal with the attack in play. Obviously Aaron Ramsey's gonna to want to get involved get himself involved in that. But but if Arsenal can keep three defenders back and one or two midfielders when Leicester break, at least they won't be shorthanded. So so I think that's that's very, very important. And of course, you can't Hold a high line against Vardy. That is a, an absolute no-no. So mm. I'd like to see perhaps the team just drop drop five or ten yards to give themselves a chance. All right. Well, you
1: mentioned midfield and you mentioned defence, and I think that presents Arsene Wenger with some uh, some selection issues for for Sunday's game. So let's start at the start at the back. Uh, since Mertesacker sending off against Chelsea, he stuck with Gabriel in the previous in the subsequent two games to that uh, he's kept two clean sheets, well he's been part of a defence that's kept two clean sheets and on paper you would say that maybe having Gabriel's pace in a team against Leicester talked about Vardy breaking in behind might be might be the right way to go, how do you see him viewing uh, this particular game given that the Koscielny-Mertesacker partnership has been successful uh, for such a long time and, and obviously we, they went to Leicester and, and one five two there.
2: Yeah, it's a big call I think for the manager, but I'm um, sensing that he's leaning towards Gabriel at the moment. I, I just wonder after that red card whether it just he looked at the fixtures and thought, you know what, this isn't the worst time for me to bring Gabriel back into the team because we were we were up against Southampton with Shane Long who well terrorised um, Mertesacker and Cassioni at St. Mary's with his speed um, you had Bournemouth Fobi, really powerful quick guy and then of course you got Jamie Vardy on the horizon so I and, and he also has mentioned hasn't he the manager that Gabriel is getting better yeah. with the regular games and that is it's obvious to some extent most players would say they need a run of, a run of games to to find their best form so it just feels to me as if it would be the right call to to stick with Gabriel for this one with Murtisaki you just know that Vardy or anyone that's quick will always plonk themselves on him and try and, try and run in behind. Um, and, of course, he scored a goal doing that, didn't he, at the king power. So, so yeah, it's uh, Mertesacker has got so many um, pluses to his game and he's still a class defender. I thought, actually, some of his best games have been against the top sides this season. Mm. Uh, Mertesacker, Bayern Munich in, in particular, you know, Lewandowski, no slouch. But he he was controlled, so so we can do it with Mertesacker. But I feel you know you go with a guy in form, and that's probably Gabriel.
1: Mm. What, what about the the experience side of things? Mm. You know, to have somebody like Mertesacker in there, we've we've seen how beneficial Petr Cech has been, for example, in terms of his presence and uh, the way that he brings some calm and assurance. And, and even if Mertesacker is not the quickest, and he, he's definitely not, it's not as if speedy attackers are running off him week in, week no. out, you know, and, and much perhaps uh, will depend on what happens in midfield in that regard then. So we might we might just uh, come to that in a moment. Mm. But but the experience that Murtisacker has and that bit of calm at the back m- might also be a factor in his thinking, no?
2: It could be. Yeah, it could be. And if you play with Murtisacker, to play devil's advocate to what I said, then you are in in, in a way forced into holding a, a deep, defensive line yeah. which, which will help when you've got Gabriel and Koscielny can they resist the temptation to, to do their normal thing which is obviously to get tight to centre forwards and to, and to press them it's not really their style to sit off and, and mop things up so so I, I do see that I see the experience as a factor um, and Gabriel and Koscielny were wobbly against Burnley I thought yeah. uh, as a partnership so so it's a big decision. I can see pros and cons to both, but but the way I see it, sat here now, I would I would stay with Gabriel. But if Murata was to start, I, I would have confidence in him to do the right thing and to and to know how to sure. about Leicester's qualities. Yeah, it
1: is a tricky one. It is a you know you can see arguments on on both sides Definitely. of it. I have to say, um, in midfield, then was the decision to start with Matthew Flamini in the last game against Bournemouth. Be, partly based on the fact that it was Bournemouth away from home. Cockerlan just coming back from injury, didn't necessarily want to throw him in from the start too soon. Um, knowing as well that he's got Leicester coming up this weekend, this is surely the time to bring Cockerlan back into, into the midfield, right?
2: I think so. Yeah, I do. It must be hard for the manager, actually, because he, he was such a... An integral part of the team before he got injured, he would never have, have left him out. He was the, he was the key man in the engine room, wasn't he? So mm. so to, to to resist putting him straight back in must have been tough, but but it was probably the right call and and. Cockleland did pick up a knock, didn't he? In in one of the games, I forget which one it was. Now, but it was a, it was it was a an ang- He went over on his ankle. He got didn't he get cleaned out by Kieran Gibbs? It was
1: Kieran Gibbs,
2: yeah. <laughs> and so that might have played a played a part in it. Maybe he's still carrying something. But yeah, I, uh, if it yeah, if I was in charge and provided he is hundred percent fit, then you would imagine Cockleland would be the guy because in Drinkwater and in Conte they've got two guys that, that that will surge forward and and they will get involved and of course you need to screen to screen the service into the likes of Vardy and actually screen the service in, into Riyadh Mahrez. i think he mm. he's a guy we shouldn't you know underestimate here i remember in the last game santi Cazorla did a brilliant job at getting across to the wings to, especially on, on Mares' side, to just just block him off so that when he wanted to come inside Monreal, he ran into Casola. And I think Coquelin can do that job for Arsenal in this game. He, he needs to shift left, make sure that when Vares cuts inside, he's there. And he's got the legs to do it, hasn't he? Mm hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, how much of that would then will fall to to Aaron Ramsey as well? Because he's going to have to sit if Coquelin is pushing out wide to cut mm. that off. Ramsey's job then will be when we don't have the ball anyway is to provide that that cover in in the centre of the park and mm. maybe going forward expanding on it a little bit if Coquelin comes back in, and if the rest of this season goes as well as we hope it might go from an Arsenal point of view, Coquelin and Ramsey have got to they've got to build. A partnership in the same way that Cazorla and, and uh Cockerland did. Um and in a way that perhaps Flamini and, and Ramsey have really struggled to do.
2: Yeah, they have a little bit. Yeah, it hasn't quite clicked, has it, for some reason. I just I don't know why. It hasn't been awful, but it's but it hasn't it hasn't been as good as, as obviously the Cockerland cazorla combination. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think Aaron Ramsey has, has got to show a little bit more discipline, especially in these type of games. Um I thought he was really good against Bournemouth. Not perfect, but he was one of our better players. And um, and he offers so much going forward. But in matches like this, you do suspect you you need him to, to be sensible. He was, remember, against Man City. Mm. I thought in that match, yeah. the central midfield axis, it was Flamini and Ramsey, wasn't it? I actually thought they held back really well in that for the first hour or so. Uh, and and that, I think, is the way we should play this one as well. It, he proved that night that he can do it, It's it, but it's tricky. I, I just wonder if there's a – I don't think it will happen, but there is a possibility, of course, he could start Ramsey on the right and bring and and have Flamini with Coquelin and, and go a bit real steady mm. inside, inside the midfield. I think that would be an unusual step at home, but I wouldn't be massively shocked if it happened. Mm,
1: that's interesting. Um let's talk a little bit before uh, just getting off this one. Then Alexis Sanchez is back in the side. Now he's had some minutes under his belt. Mm. And if you remember at the start of the season, he didn't score for eight games. And then at the King power stadium, he absolutely burst into life with, with a brilliant hat trick. Mm. Um it's a bit much to hope lightning might strike <laughs> twice, but it would be very nice.
2: Probably. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just one will do I'll take that. Um, two, <laughs> two even better, but, yeah, he's a danger man. Look, Leicester will be worried about him definitely. Also, because even though they've got this, 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 uh, their their back four is better now. They've got Fuchs, haven't they, at left back? He's come in for Schlup, and at right back, Simpson's replaced DeLat. This is all since since we walloped them five two. They, they've rejigged it, and the, their back four is now much more solid. Uh, but of the four, I would still say that that Simpson at right back is probably the weakest link. So. I do see Arsenal pumping a lot of service out left to Alexis to, to try and make things happen. And, you know, if, if he gets a lot of the ball, gets up ahead of steam, you just don't know, do you, with him? No. He's got that capability. It's a big game, isn't it? He loves he loves the big occasion. So maybe it is set for, set for him and, and maybe Ozil to really uh, stamp their mark on the title race.
1: Mm. Any uh, question about who he's going to select up front for you?
2: No. I don't think so. No, Giroud. Giroud's not in his sharpest form of the season, but but I think he's important to the way Arsenal attack. He, he's still looking after the ball really well. Uh, he just hasn't had that many chances. He, even last weekend, he didn't press. Didn't do that much, but but it was his knockdown. For Ferrer, or that that created that really important first goal that broke the the long sequence we'd gone without scoring, mm. and and Theo Walcott just wouldn't have been able to do that physically. So, so I think Giroud, yeah, I think it's a no-brainer that he'll start, especially because Theo hasn't been in his best either lately. Even though Theo was brilliant, wasn't he at the King Power? He really he gave Leicester such a hard time. Yeah, but he's not he's not in that kind of shape at the minute. So. So yeah, it has to be Giroud for me. All
1: right, okay, Um, right. Well, look, the other big issue of the week, aside from from this enormous crucial game for both Arsenal season and Leicester season which makes it even more exciting um, was the the ticket prices issue and Liverpool fans walked out on their team at 77 minutes uh, at 2-0 up and uh, uh, they ended up drawing that game 2-2 and we've seen some uh, response from the Fenway Sports Group who own Liverpool, Uh, they've dialed back on the plans that they had made to make some of the tickets available at £77 etc etc it is uh, it is an ongoing issue, isn't it? But this little victory perhaps that the Liverpool fans have had, it's um, it surely just got to be the start. If fans really want to make a difference, there's got to be a bit more going on than this.
2: I think so, yeah. No, I'm fully supportive of it. I, I think that the fan power has, has worked at Liverpool for, on this occasion and it could, I suspect, work across the board at, at all the clubs. I mean, I don't think... Liverpool are, are isolated in, in in terms of fan unhappiness at ticket prices. Right across the country, certainly in the Premier League, supporters are fed up of of paying such extortionate prices. And give, as as we all know, with with the investment coming in from TV revenue, I just don't think it's on to to raise. Prices moving forwards, they, they they should because they're so much wealthier now. I just think they should be capping the prices, or even bringing them down, or bringing initiatives in to get younger fans and more families into the ground. I'd like to would like to see some of that happen because because it yeah it's a, it's an opportunity now that clubs clubs like Arsenal aren't reliant on ticket money. They've got a they've got a chance to to shape it and to to shape their future audiences so yeah I just hope they, they I hope fans don't continue to be priced out it's mm. uh, yeah it's definitely in what has been a brilliant Premier League season it's the it's one little blot isn't it really for me that the ticket prices are still so expensive mm.
1: I mean it, I think we'd all like to think the ticket prices would come down mm. I, realistically though mm. that's that seems very unlikely to happen because with the increased money. And Arsene Wenger made this point last week. He said that when you increase the money coming into the clubs, there's more pressure to spend that money on better players. Uh, better players cost more, wages cost more, and, you know, soon that it's a vortex of, of spending in a way. Mm. But I think you're right in what you say, that, you know, even if there's a price freeze across the board, but there are greater initiatives to bring in that next generation of supporters who who must find it incredibly difficult if you're a young uh, if you're a student, if you're a kid, if your dad wants to bring you to the game and it's costing X amount of money, that's if you can even get a ticket. Yeah. You know, th- they are, in a way, um, looking at this in a very short-term manner and not thinking about the long-term effects of what uh, these prices are doing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That You look around the Emirates and, and the, the crowd is old, really. Yeah. yeah not, not, not ancient, but there aren't that many teenagers there. There aren't that many people in their early 20s. It's almost as if that that generation write off the fact that they can go to games, unless they're very fortunate in terms of their families or friends being able to get them tickets. Um, it's almost as if that generation are having to write off actually go into matches it's like their support has to be from afar until perhaps they're in their 30s and 40s where, they, where they, they've got a better income and then they might be able to 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 afford it it's, it's and, but d- yeah doesn't, doesn't that
1: then affect the way that you view the game the way that you view football because and I'm not trying to sound in any way snobbish about this it's a very different experience being in a stadium watching a game and watching a game on television I'm not saying you know people who watch on television or only watch on television don't know what they're talking Talking about or anything like that, but it, just in terms of how you experience football, uh, being in a stadium is just a vital part of it.
2: You can't experience; it, it's the magic, is it? It's what it's why most of us sort of fall in love with football. It's that experience of going to the game, and feeling the atmosphere. Being close to the players, it's magical, and and there are so many people that are missing out on that, not because they don't want to go, but because of prohibitive costs. So, so yeah, I just I, just, I would like to see Arsenal and all clubs, it's not just Arsenal, um, look into to ways of, of getting more families into it because it, it is short term, and and I feel sorry for, for people that that would love to go and can't. And what frustrates me, I've got to say, is is that. This season, there are a lot of empty seats at the games. Like I know that we—we it's become a running joke that the sixty thousand attendance will be a given, but but a lot of the time, the people aren't taking up their seats, and you just wonder what's happened there and whether more could be done to fill those seats and offer them out at at discount prices to get to get people in. The problem is that the Arsenal season tickets are oversubscribed. So are most clubs. People are willing to pay big money there are enough people that do have the money to go it's it is a it's a very difficult issue but given the amount of money the extra money that's coming in it i find it it would be totally unfair mm. for clubs not to at least freeze their prices
1: all right well look we'll uh, we'll keep fingers crossed and i i don't think this is the last we've heard of it from from fans by any means
2: well, more walkouts or more demonstration i think that the fan power will work yeah um, so so yeah I think my message not my message but the message is I think that Liverpool from Liverpool is that if if you kick up a fuss, pe- people will listen. So-
1: well look I mean we've we've had evidence of that from an Arsenal point of view as well with the uh, with the Barcelona ticket charge yes. that yeah. you know if enough noise is made they they, they can't ignore it and uh, it has to work across the board though. I think what you know what would be great is if people or if football fans I know it's dif- difficult to put uh, aside your rivalries and put aside those kind of things. But if, you know, they could see that for the greater good, more harmony between football fans on these issues would be for the benefit of everyone.
2: Yeah, I think I think there is harmony between fans of different clubs on this particular issue. And look, clubs these days, big corporate businesses, PR is so important, isn't <laughs> it? Image. And the image of Liverpool w- was dented by that. By that incident, and you could almost feel or taste the not the panic on the Fenway Sports Group's part, but but they really backed down, didn't they? In terms in terms of getting the fans back on side, you can't have a split there. So yeah, so look, clubs value the importance of their relationship with the fans. They should do anyway, and I, I think deep down they really do. So yeah, look, if if people are unhappy, I, I think I think these kind of protests. We'll have some weight, and hopefully, yeah, people will listen.
1: All right, Adrian, uh, we'll keep fingers crossed for this uh, for this Sunday. Hope we get the right it's result, and uh, yeah, everything crossed.
2: <laughs> Thanks a million, as always. No, no worries at all. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds.
1: Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? Thank you very much indeed to Adrian. You can find him on Twitter, at Adrian J. Clark. That's at Adrian J. Clark. And, of course, he presents the breakdown on Arsenal.com. After uh, all of our games, he takes an in-depth look at what went wrong, what went right, and hopefully this Monday, when he does it, or Tuesday, whenever it might be, uh, he's talking about how everything went right for Arsenal uh, against Leicester. Before we talk about that and get some of the team news very briefly... Uh, news yesterday, of course, that Arsenal are going back to the USA. That's right, Arsenal are going to America this summer. They're going to play in the 2016 All-Star Game in San Jose, yeah. Of course, a great song by Dion Warwick, but uh, amazing, I've just remembered that Frankie Goes to Hollywood did a version on their first album, seriously. Do you know
0: the way to San Jose, I San Jose. LA
1: is yeah, amazing. I'm the first Frankie Goes to Hollywood um, with Relax and Welcome to the Pleasure Dome and all that, and they have a cover of that particular song, which is, I guess, weird, but there you go. Anyway, so San Jose, there's a the thing, eh? And then uh, two days later, they're going to play in L.A., in the, uh, the StubHub Center in L.A. against Chivas de Guadalajara. That's right. Uh, they've got amazing players on that team, like Carlos Villanueva, Carlos Peña, Carlos Cisneros, Carlos Salcedo, Carlos Salcedo, and Jose Antonio Rodriguez. Yes, it's going to be fun, though. Arsenal in America, Arsenal in the USA. I was there last time, of course, when Arsenal were in New York in 2014, the summer of 2014. The game itself, I will, I will say it was up there with one of the worst Arsenal games I've ever seen. But the rest of it... Was just tremendous fun. It was brilliant. Loads of uh, Arsenal fans from all over America at all the events that were going on uh, down on 14th Street and around New York uh, with the Arsenal NYC guys uh, did a lot of work bringing everyone together and it was just brilliant fun. So if you're heading out California way this summer to watch Arsenal, uh, you'll have a good time. I'm absolutely positive of it. Maybe we should try and do something. Wouldn't that be good? Like a an Arsecast Extra crossover with uh, the Arsenal America podcast because Chris is uh, is out in L.A. there. So that'd be good. That'd be good fun, wouldn't it? That'd be like a laugh. I'd enjoy that. All we need is like a sponsor or an airfare and somewhere to stay and beer money and all those things. But hey... I'm just putting it on the record here that if anyone listening would like to sponsor that and take us out there and bring us there and, you know, we'll happily wear T-shirts and merchandise. We will absolutely 100% whore ourselves for money for this one. Uh, You know, feel free to get in touch. But if you are going to go out there, I'd say it's going to be good fun, like really good fun and great for uh, the American fans to see Arsenal over there. So uh, that's this summer, but more pressing is what's happening this Sunday. Arsenal against Leicester in a game that I won't say it will decide the title but it could go some way to letting us know who's going to win it or who's not going to win it it's uh, it's a bit weird five points behind Leicester at this moment in time we can cut that gap to two if we win if they win that's eight points with only 12 games left (sighs) It's just just massive, isn't it? And their form, and we talked about it with Adrian, their form has been fantastic. They've got nothing to lose. They've got no fear. They're playing with freedom. They're playing with, with real spunk, you'd have to say. And, you know, nobody expects them to be in this position, so they can do it with a, with a measure of freedom. I don't think they're going to feel any pressure whatsoever coming to, uh, to our place to play this game. All the pressure is on us. Because this is a game we have to win. Not simply because we're playing the league leaders, but because this is a season in which it looks like we have a very good chance of of uh, of trying to win the title. And unless we win games like this, people are going to ask questions and rightly ask questions about our ability to do that. So we need the big guys, don't we? We need the big players to step up in this game. We need Mesut Ozil, We need Alexis Sanchez. We need Olivier Giroud. We need Aaron Ramsey. We need the guys who can make a difference at the attacking end of the pitch. Uh, to do just that, and we need the defence. We need the back four. We need to be smart. We need to play clever against Mares and Vardy and the way that they counter attack, uh, trying to find the balance as we spoke about with Adrian between needing to win the game and trying to win the game and not leaving ourselves exposed. It's going to be it's going to be incredible. Uh, Twelve o'clock kickoff Sunday. Probably will mute the atmosphere to a certain extent, not to mention the fact that there is going to be a protest at the game. Uh, Some Leicester fans have decided that they'll enter the stadium five minutes late. I think they'll be joined in solidarity by quite a number of Arsenal fans. Uh, the protest, of course, is not at ticket prices, but the fact that Sky moved this uh, moved this fixture with very short notice, meaning that people lost a lot of money on on trains and hotels and all kinds of things that they had booked well in advance because this wasn't one of the TV games. And uh, you know, I was one of those people who booked plane tickets and had to rebook. Um, so it, it's going to be very interesting to see how widespread that particular protest is. I think it might be quite widespread. I think people are, you know, having seen what's happened in the last week with Liverpool having seen what the uh, what the action did when Arsenal fans protested albeit online only against the Barcelona surcharge and the effect that that had there's a mood isn't there you can perhaps see that people are going well actually this this might make a difference this might do something positive uh, not just for me but for other football fans so um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes but look um, all we can do is hope that the Arsenal that we know is capable of beating this Leicester team because we did it earlier in the season 5-2 we got to hope that they turn up we got to hope that the goals come and we got to hope that we can uh, maintain uh, a good a solid defensive shape and, and, uh, and prevent them the opportunities that they're bound to take because it's not like they're not scoring you know uh, if we give them chances they'll take them um, so it It's up to us to try and deny them uh, those chances and the space to create those chances. Uh, I will see some of you in the usual place after the game. Uh, Hopefully for a pint or two, that will be good fun. So uh, do come and say hello if you're going to be there. We'll keep everything crossed for the right result on Sunday. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra looking back on it all. So until then, have yourselves a great weekend. Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: FM, That was Lloyd Cole and the commotions and Lost Weekend. I remember I too had a Lost Weekend when I was in the seminary. It was in a burlesque house. Oh, where did the time go? As ever at this time of night, we answer some of the emails that you send to us when you're feeling lost and alone and we try and help you. This one comes from, well... He says he wants to remain anonymous, so we'll just give his first name and last name and address. So it's John P. McGinley from... No, I'll land him in it there. Anyway, John says, Dear Holy God FM, I feel trapped by my religion. Ever since they started charging ticket prices into church on Sunday, I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. Of course, I can't change my religion. I don't want to be a Branch Davidian. I also don't want to be a Buddhist. I cannot become a Jew or an Ebionite. Hare Krishna's, I don't like their clothes. I'm not a Hindu. I cannot convert to Islam, nor indeed can I be a Mennonite. I'm not interested in being a Unitarian, a Presbyterian, a Rastafarian or a Druid. So my question is, how can I feel like I'm not being taken advantage of? Yours, anonymously, John P. McGinley. Well, John, it is a troubling, troubling situation you find yourself in. Having thought about this, all I can say to you is, you're fucked. They have you by the balls. They know it. You know it. And that's just the way it's gonna go. Stay tuned here on Holy God FM for our competition later where you can win a knight with a bishop. Now though for you, John, hopefully this will cheer you up a little bit. This is Kicking It Old School with Stevie V and Money Talks.